Well, hey, Luke, we have Daniel on the line here. What would you like to ask him? I know that you talked about being able to prepare for bad times. I'm wondering how, if at all, you've tried to do that with, with partnerships, being able to prepare for bad times. So getting to know the person and knowing what type of person they are is definitely key. And then also, you know, of course, before you get to know them, just knowing what their track record is. I, I mentioned that to everybody. And some some syndicators, it can be difficult to get a track record out of them. And I like to partner with people who, who have track records available to review. So I definitely make that part of the process as well. Welcome to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast with your host, Brian Briscoe. In this podcast, we bring some of the top professionals in the apartment investing field to discuss various aspects of the apartment investing journey with the sole purpose of educating listeners to make wise investment decisions. The Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast is sponsored by Four Oaks Capital, bringing you high yield returns through apartment complex investing. This is journal entry number 51 and part of our Ask the Expert series with experienced investor Daniel Homland and aspiring investor Luke DeBro. Keep listening for tips on involving family in your real estate business and how to maintain a great partnership. Welcome to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast. I'm your host, Brian Briscoe with Folks Capital. I'm very excited for today's show. This is another one of our Ask the Expert episodes. We have two amazing people on the line with us right now, a man with a ton of experience in this business and as an engineer with Intel. Daniel Homland, and a very motivated and energetic aspiring investor, Luke DeBro. As we typically do, we're going to introduce our experienced investor first. So give a warm welcome to Daniel Homland of Elan Capital. Daniel received his degree in computer and electrical engineering from the University of California at Davis. He now works at Intel Corporation as a software developer and an Intel community manager. He runs the Real Estate Investment Club at Intel, which as of June 2020, has over 700 active members. He has invested in a total of 907 apartment units, 635 of which he is a GP. One thing I'd like to point out about Daniel is he's also a podcast host. His podcast is The Win Multifamily Show, and it's available on all major podcast applications. And if you're going to check it out, I'd highly recommend you check out episode number 66, that's an episode that we recorded together a couple of weeks ago. So check it out, Win Multifamily Show, episode 66. And while you're there, check out as many of his episodes as you've got time for. Wow, that's impressive. With that said, Daniel, welcome to the show. Thanks, Brian. It's good to be here. Yeah, great having you. You know, I've, I've been following your show for a while right now, and I really enjoy that. Yeah, happy to have you on this show for now. Good to so, be here. Why don't you uh, tell the listeners what your background and history is up until that moment that you decided to actively pursue apartments? Sure. So my background is I'm an engineer at Intel. Uh, I work there full time and I also invest in apartment complexes with mm -hmm. other people who partner with me. Yep. Uh, and it's been an interesting journey. My, my past in terms of real estate, I started you know, pretty much right out of college, uh, 2002 with single family homes. Uh -huh. And uh, I did that for a little while at for Bank of America. And uh, it was it was such a uh, interesting job that I decided to go overseas and uh, volunteer and, and do something more worthwhile. And so I, I went overseas and uh, volunteered in France with uh, North North African immigrants who who have the right to emigrate up there, but they actually mm -hmm. don't have the right to work in France. 
Uh, so there's a subclass there and many of them are not literate. And I was creating eBooks as a tech person that would was helping out this group that was working on um, uh -huh. Algerian literacy. And in order to support my family over there, I started doing hard money loans back to the US. Okay. So I found a couple of rehabbers and I got to know them and saw their projects and I started funding them. And that was working really well for a while. I, I, I was asking, you know, for a point on the loan, 15% interest, um, mm -hmm. and I'd get a balloon loan after six months or a balloon payment after six months. Right. And uh, I, I did that about five or six times, six times mm -hmm. uh, with uh, some developers down in Florida. Mm -hmm. And then 2008 hit Florida. Yeah. So yeah, and I imagine that dried up really quickly. It did. I they started dodging my calls, and you know, it's it's truly when things go wrong that you understand, mm -hmm. you know, more about your partners and what they'll do. Things are always okay when times are good, but it's planning for times that are bad. In particular, that um, that's one of the reasons I like real estate because mm -hmm. you can make plans for bad times, unlike you know, the stock market where it could just drop real estate. Uh, you can make a business plan. You can plan for those times. Yeah. But in this particular case, my, my rehabbers were dodging my calls and I um, finally got a hold of them. And through some back and forth, they decided to deed me, you know, the properties. Um, and so I held those until 2015, uh, in which case the market had recovered. I sold them and I started moving into multifamily properties. Okay. And uh, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you, you made it through 2008 better than a lot of people, it sounds like, you know, so true. So that's, that's a definite positive. Yeah. I bought my first single family, you know, in 2007 and uh, it was a, it was a investment property from the beginning. And my first set of renters moved out the day the stock market crashed. And I, I had a long period of vacancy, but once we got people in there, you know, everything worked out perfectly. So fortunately for me, once I got people back in, it cash flowed and I, I, I left largely unscathed too, but uh, well, good enough. So one thing I'd like to point out here, I mean, you were in, you know, across the ocean from where you were investing. And I know a lot of people, they start thinking about distance or just even investing out of state. What do people need to be careful about and really take care of prior to investing outside their local area? Well, I would say right now that with the internet, we are in a golden age of being able to do long distance investing. Um, but you do have to be educated and yeah. how to do that. And so you have to, and, and of course, the backbone of real estate is that real estate is a team sport. You have to know your partners, you have to know who you're talking to. And uh, you have to know that, you know, for instance, if you're giving out hard money loans, that you, you actually have collateral on the other side. And so, you know, we'd go through and make sure that we did the inspections and got the appraisals and they were done by third parties, not the, you know, not the rehabber bringing somebody on to do them for you. So mm -hmm. there's some level of due diligence that you have to do, but you could do all of that easily. And I, I did it from, you know, South France and it worked out you know, quite well until, until 2008 where property right. values started dropping. Mm -hmm. and, and that also shaped me a lot too. It made me very risk adverse. It's mm -hmm. one thing that I've, that I like about syndications is that, you know, when you go into a syndication, you have a business plan and you often have a five to seven year projection mm -hmm. on where you believe the cash flow will go and where you believe the internal rate of return will go yep. and what the overall value of that project will be. And you can know that, you know, before you start, you have your analysis done before you buy. 
Yeah. Um, so it, it's if I'm planning my retirement, I like to know that I, I understand what's going to happen or at least have reliable projections rather than a stock or a bond, which could drop at any moment. Yeah, so you, I, you I prefer to invest in real estate. You can't project. And I, I heard the same thing. Maybe, maybe it was you that posted this up on LinkedIn or some, somebody put a, a story or something on LinkedIn uh, yesterday that said the exact same thing, you know, um, basically said, I can't project how my stock portfolio is going to do. You know, I can't mm-hmm. month by month tell you, you know, what the dividends are going to be and what the increases are going to be. But you can do that to, to a large degree with commercial real estate. You know, mm-hmm. you can look at, uh, you know, trends and things like that and say, hey, I'm, I'm getting X amount of rents per month right now. It's very likely that I'm going to get X amount of rents next month and the month after and the month after and factor in, you know, maybe a little bit of year over year increase for inflation and you can make those projections. So, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. Love well, one of the things I'm doing right now that I'm excited about is I've started investing with my kids. So mm-hmm. my, my daughter is 11. Mm-hmm. In about five to six years, about the time of a syndication, she's going to be ready to go to college. Yeah. So I set up a partnership with her and actually other boys, mm-hmm. and they each contributed uh, 14000 which is the uh, current, in this year, it's the largest amount you can gift another gift. person. Right. Right. It's a gift. Mm-hmm. So the three of them had 14000 I kicked in 8000 and that made the $50,000 minimum we needed for this syndication. Mm-hmm. And since it's a partnership, when we receive the distributions back from the syndication, that money is going to flow through and be, you know, divided up to us. And it's taxed at our, my kid's tax rate, which, yeah. you know, of course, is effectively lower than zero. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's effectively zero. And, uh, and by the time that she's ready to go to college, this syndication is projected to, you know, uh, to sell. So, so we're, we've put in that money there for her college education. So I'm I'm excited to do that with my kids. With some of the recent changes in the CARES Act, I've seen a lot of talk about, you know, retirement plans and accessing that money. And I did a long, hard look at, you know, my retirement plan. I've basically been invested in an S&P 500 equivalent fund for years and years and years. And you know what? My, my real estate investments have blown that investment out of the water, you know? Um, I think conventional wisdom is saying index funds, you know, put your money in index funds because you can't beat the market. Well, you can't beat the market in the market is, is my opinion. You can definitely beat the market in real estate. Mm-hmm. So well, good, good, good for you. And, uh, you know, it's a lot better than the, the college savings plans. What are those 529Bs? Yeah, yeah, 529 C. C's, okay. All right. Well, next question for you. What's what's your big burning why? What's what's your motivation for investing it, in apartments? Actually, to give a little bit of background on that, two things. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's my family. I, I had a bad back injury back in 2006, and okay. I was literally on a couch for about two years. I had wow. trouble moving. It, it was bad. Uh, I tore a bunch of soft tissue muscle. And at that point, and it's taken honestly, about 10 years to recover and two surgeries to recover from it. And I I realized that, you know, if I have one source of income and suddenly I'm not able to do that anymore, Mm -hmm. that's a problem. I I need to diversify my sets of income and I need to make this a safe environment for my family so that if I quit my job tomorrow, you know, I have some income coming in. And so right now what I'm doing is I'm building that up to replace my current income. Uh, I'm a, like I mentioned earlier, I'm an employee at Intel. 
Yep. Um, so I've got a good paying job. And, uh, but I've got a three to four year time plan for replacing that income. And we're, we're executing along it. My other why, and I've been thinking mm-hmm. about this quite a bit, I, I want to find some way of giving back. And, and right now, my charity that I've been going to is called Remember New. Mm-hmm. It's a charity that works with child uh, sex trafficking. And we, we really enjoy donating to them. I've, I've been contemplating whether to just stay you know, on one charity and, and pour everything in there or to diversify it to multiple charities. I'm still working through that. Yeah. But I want to find a way to give back too. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I wrestled with the same question and, you know, my answer was focus on, on the charities, you know, yeah. so um, the vast majority of my charitable contributions go, go to one organization. And I, I think, you know, for me, that's the right answer. And, you know, my, my values align completely with this one organization and I'm very confident they're going to take very good care of it. So, but yeah, I mean, good, good. I, you know, I definitely appreciate, you know, your, your desire to give back and, I mean, just, you know, even that uh, the job you took in France was, was helping people less fortunate. I think that's something that uh, you know, speaks volumes about your, your character. So. You, know, you know, the other thing that actually motivates me too, and, and this is no small motivation, is mm-hmm. that I really enjoy real estate. And I think it's a way that people can achieve, you know, financial freedom. And if I'm working my way through doing that, I feel like helping other people do that as well is, is very important to me. So yeah. I, I really enjoy working with other people. That's that's why I started the the REI Club at Intel. Mm-hmm. So I, I run the the Real Estate Investment Club at Intel, which is an employee resource organization. It's not officially affiliated with Intel, but it is internal to Intel. It's Intel employees only, and I get a lot of people there that are just learning huge amounts about real estate. And I get you know I get thank yous, and that's that's really motivating to have somebody come up and and say just you know thank you for all the effort you're putting into this. Yeah. Um, and it's really helping us out. So that that's a big motivator too. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. I, I was reflecting just the other day there, there was a, a guy that was very influential. He probably doesn't know, but very influential in me wanting to do real estate. It was part of a, a management club that I was in and he gave a, a presentation. Um, he was in commercial real estate. They did shopping centers, you know, they they'd buy shopping centers when shopping centers, you know, still were cool. You know, this is, uh, you know, 15, 20 years ago. And at one point he said, I woke up one day and I realized I had made more money than I could ever spend in my lifetime. You know, I'm like, man, I wish I had that problem. And he said he had a a couple of weeks where he was really thinking about what next. I've already made money. You know, I've got everything taken care of as far as that goes. And he came to the same realization you did. And to me, it was just so impressive. And I wanted to model my life like him. He just said, okay, now that I've done this, I'm going to make it my goal to show other people how to do this as well. And he's got uh, several charities and is dedicated essentially the rest of his life to charitable causes. So anyway, that's, I'll probably send him a note in the next day or so, you know, just, just say, Hey, thanks for, thanks for your example. But uh, all right, well, let's uh, moving, moving right along. Next question for you. Can you give us a brief history of, you know, some of your deals and projects or just one particular one? I think uh, you're, you're set to close on something here soon, right? Yeah. Yeah. We are closing on a 145 unit down in Fort Smith, Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is, so, well, backing up a little bit, this, this will make my total number of doors up to 635 that I've okay. invested in as a general partner, a little over 900 as a, as a passive. And it's been a learning and growing experience every step of the way. That, and that's, that's also another motivator. There are so many things that I like about real estate. 
It's challenging. It's people oriented. It is enables you to create tax efficiencies. There's so many things that I, I just jive with internally and with real yeah. estate. This particular deal, the thing that I love about this deal is that first first of all, it, it we started working on it in January of 2020. So you can imagine the, the equation has changed a little bit since then with COVID-19 mm-hmm. and with a lot of the economic unrest. This particular deal has got a 55% break-even occupancy, wow. which which means, yeah, and it's currently at 93% occupied, mm-hmm. uh, 93.9 as of June. But it, uh, so, you know, we can go to people and say, hey, you know, are you uneasy? Uh, mm-hmm. Do you need to find a place to preserve your capital? This this is an opportunity for you. This is a great capital preservation opportunity. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're projecting we'll double the investor's money in about five years, a little over yep. five years. So it's it's a really interesting place. One of the interesting things about this area too is that it never closed down during the pandemic, mm-hmm. and and the numbers there are still very good. This is this is Arkansas, right on the yeah. Arkansas Oklahoma border. The unemployment as as of last month was four point six percent. So wow. it's you know it's definitely better than that was good at pre pandemic. I mean, yeah, yeah it was, so. it's it's basically at pre pandemic levels. Yeah, because it never closed down. Yeah. And so it's 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 interesting. We we were looking at this. We did due diligence, you know, all the way back in in March, and it was just a good deal. It's a light renovation, so we're coming in. We're doing a light renovation. Uh, we've got room to move rents up by around seventy five dollars in the local market, but also with our break even occupancy. If the multifamily market should take a downturn, we also have the ability within our business plan to lower the rents by almost $75 to $100. So we're right there in the middle. We can raise them. We can lower them. It's it's a good point to be in. Um, And it's a very safe point to be in. And that's, that's one of the reasons I like this deal. It's, it's predictable. Um, So yeah, it's, it's, um, it's uh, 145 units in Fort Smith, Arkansas. Yeah. And that's, that's another benefit of multifamily is, is the capital preservation and the safety. I mean, People ask me, what's the worst case scenario? And it, it's going to take a lot for people to lose their money, especially if you have a 55% break-even occupancy. I mean, the chances of, of people losing their money is very low. Yeah. I mean, it just it just makes for a safe, good overall investment strategy. You, you know, I have I have investors ask me that question, you know, can I lose my money in this? And of course, you know, it's yes. an investment. Yes, yes, you can. But I, I am hard-pressed to know, I mean, you you put together a private placement memorandum that lists mm-hmm. all the risks that are involved. But for most of those, it's it would be very, very difficult to lose your principal in, in deals like this. Not saying it's impossible, yeah. but I honestly don't know off the top of my head how that would come about. Yeah. So it's, it's telling. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, last question for you. Uh, what's next for you? Uh, so I am part of, well, so our Intel group has been doing very well. We've got about a thousand people in it right now. We're actually launching an external uh, multifamily network called the Win Multifamily Network. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like the title of my podcast, podcast. the Win Multifamily Show. Yep. Uh, and you can find it at winmultifamily.com. But we're, we're launching a program for people who are just coming into real estate syndication and they want to learn more about the business so we're calling it our strategic partner program. Mm-hmm. And basically, um, when we acquire a property, we'll ask for people to submit applications and we'll take on some people that are interested in kind of a behind the scenes peek at how we do you know, our due diligence, how we do our underwriting, how we do 
all of that material. And we'll also get them involved in the process. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll, we'll probably give them little tasks to do, like finding appliances that are, that are nicked and might be sold cheaper or working with the landscaping. So we're, we're, we're trying to get actively involved with people who want to start their own track record in yeah. multifamily. So yeah, that's at winmultifamily.com. Yeah, I love that. I love that. We, uh, we, we brought a former you know, investor who may invest with us in our next deal along for, for due diligence on, on a previous deal. And yeah, I, I want to I do more and more stuff like that. I think that's uh, very fulfilling in a lot of ways, giving back to the people who are putting a lot of faith and confidence in you. Well, and, and, and from two sides, it's, it's fulfilling to help people make, get their first steps, but it also broadens your network and people yeah. that you can, you can work with. And so it's, it's, um, it's a win-win situation. Yeah, I, I think so too. Good, good. All right, well, let's introduce our next guest. We got uh, Luke Debro. Uh, Luke's educational and professional experience is in the architecture, engineering, and construction industry. He's been involved with projects valued at over $750 million over the last eight years, and he's also a limited partner in 445 units across two assets in Texas, totaling $36.8 million. Um, he's also part of the National Black MBA Association and African-American Real Estate Professionals. His goal in real estate is to create generational wealth, leave a legacy, and provide a better life for his family. So that said, Luke, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Brian. And uh, thanks for taking the time to chat also, Daniel. Yeah, no problem. Always, always good, good to, to talk to new people. So let's do this. Let's, let's talk about your background and your history up until the, you decided that you wanted to start investing in, into multifamily. And since you've already passively invested, let's say until you started, you decided to try to actively invest in, in multifamily. Okay, gotcha. So I, I always knew that in growing up, I, there, you know, I, I needed to end up finding a way to be able to lead the charge, so to speak. I think that's just in my personality. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't know what that would end up looking like. And um, when I finished school back in 2012, I ended up looking around and realizing okay, I, this, you know, the partners at the firms that I was working at, that's not necessarily what I wanted to do. And I needed to find another way. So I read the famous little purple, yellow, purple book yeah. that everyone knows about. And um, yeah, and then from there, ended up learning more and more and then had the opportunity to invest as an LP mm-hmm. uh, back in late, I guess it would be late 2017, early 2018. Okay. Now. And uh, so you know, my fiance and I, Daisy, we have a podcast that we started recently and we always thought that we would end up moving and doing our own uh, investments actively as opposed mm-hmm. to um, being passive. But what ended up kind of flipping the switch, honestly, was in doing the podcast and then also seeing how much momentum we started gaining once the entire country went on lockdown around six months ago. You know, yeah. we were able to network way more with people, be able to learn a lot more as well, um, mm-hmm. and be able to become more active as passive investors. Yeah, nice. So, tell us a little bit about this podcast. You, you said you said a couple times you had a podcast and a little about it, but uh, what, what's the name? What's it about? And, and where can people find it? Yeah, appreciate you asking. So it's called Make It Rain, uh, mm-hmm. multifamily real estate investing for millennials. And so what we ended up finding was that there wasn't a there wasn't a podcast that was speaking specifically to millennials, for millennials, by millennials. And we right. thought that that was a, a gap in the market. And so we wanted to be able to address that and provide more access and education around multifamily real estate investing. And so anybody can go to makeitrainpodcast.com or search it on all platforms and that's where it's available. And we interview asset managers, property managers, syndicators like yourselves, aspiring investors, 
And yeah, it's been, it's been going great so far. It's, it's, it's only been a few months and it's been, mm-hmm. it's definitely been awesome. I can see why both you and Daniel have podcasts and why you continue to do it. Yeah. I, I talked to another friend of mine who, who runs a podcast just last night and you know, he, he pointed out, he's like, the best part about the podcast isn't, he's like, you, you can get zero downloads and the podcast is still going to be a success because you're talking to people, you're networking, you're getting to know people. And I think that's, that's an amazing part about podcasting. Even if, if nobody listens to this podcast or, you know, if, if I forget to hit the record button, which I didn't, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, this would still be a success because I, I have, have two great people here on the line with me. We're getting to know each other. And from that standpoint, I think any podcast is good. But I just looked it up on my phone while, while we were talking and actually I'd already seen this. So I already listened to your episode with Travis Watts. So oh, awesome. Um, so somehow I filed that away into the nether regions of my brain and didn't remember it. But yeah. anyway, well, good enough. Well, uh, encourage all everybody listening, go check out his, his podcast by millennials for millennials. And the one episode that I've listened to was, was amazing. Incidentally, Travis Watts is, I recorded with him for this podcast two weeks ago. So that, that episode is forthcoming. So awesome. great guy. I liked him. Yeah, definitely a great guy. I still like him. I didn't just like him. Yeah, not past tense, but good. All right. So next question for you, Luke, what's what's your big burning why? What's your motivation for investing in apartments? You know, really for me, I think look I think I guess two things. One is is trying to do the traditional route of working for somebody else for 40, maybe even 50 years now, depending on what the retirement's going retirement age is going to be when I'm of retirement age. Not not doing that, number one, so that's a big why, but then also being able to create generational wealth. I think that we, we as humans, we have a lot of potential, and I don't think that most of us really end up realizing it and capturing all of that potential in our lifetimes. I mean, there's so much that we're capable of, and so being able to, to do that and to be able to leave a legacy and, and move towards that is really, really important for me. I mean, I, my parents made a lot of sacrifices mm-hmm. growing up, I would say, and my grandparents did as well. And so I feel like in some sense, I, I end up owing it to them to be able to uh, make progress and continue that upward mobility and to accomplish things that they never even thought were possible. Yeah. Yeah. And multifamily, I mean, the, the sky's the limit really, you know, and it's, it's nice. So my, my daughter, something you said just reminded me about this. My daughter actually edits my podcast for me. She's, she's 20 something. She's a college student recently married, but uh, one of the guests episode that actually released today, the guest was the same age as her. And she, she pointed out that I praised my guest and said, you know, you're light years ahead of me. And she looked at me and she said, dad, I'm also light years ahead of you then, you know? And I, I thought about it and I remember my dad you know, tell me as I grew up, my dad sacrificed a lot for us. And so did my mom. And my dad told me over and over and over again, he's like, I'm sacrificing so that your life is going to be easier. And I just remembered that, you know, I remembered how much my parents sacrificed for me and trying to give me a leg up. And I think when I you know, left my house at 18, 19 years old, I was light years ahead of my parents. And I really thought about that. And what my daughter said, I'm like, you know what, if you aren't light years ahead of where I was at your age, I did something wrong. You know, so yeah, 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 I hundred percent agree. I mean, Daisy and I, we plan to have children here in a few years, and I, you know, that's a that's a big thing for us is making sure that they're set up to be able mm-hmm. to accomplish whatever they need to. You know, they need to earn everything that they get from us, but at the same time, we want to be able to provide them all those opportunities that 
for whatever reason, we didn't have access to uh, in growing up. Right, right. And that's, that's huge. That's huge. I think that's the goal of just about every parent in the world, you know, so well, good. Well, hey, Luke, we have Daniel on the line here. What would you like to ask him? Yeah, so I had a few questions, Daniel. And, you know, right now you've been a GP in, in a couple of deals and you've been passive as well. And I'm wondering, so far with your experience, what do you wish that you knew back then that you actually know now that that could have ended up making things a bit easier for you? Well, one of the things for me was that it took me a while to pull the trigger to move over to real estate syndication. I I, I suffer from typical engineer-itis where I overanalyze everything. So I have done a couple of things. I've gotten a little better on that. It took me about a year of just listening to podcasts, reading books, understanding it before I actually went out and found a partner. But one of the, one of the things that I would say is that um, I educated myself first and I didn't pay somebody to do it. There are so many books, so many good podcasts out there that you can fully educate yourself uh, on a very deep level and understand this. And then when you're ready to be hands-on, you can find a partner who's more experienced than you and start that journey with somebody who's got more experience than you. So that's, that, that is how I, I ended up starting. It took me a while, but I really think that it was a good way to start. I know a lot of people that have paid a lot for education and it doesn't always pan out. And so my, my advice would be get educated first and then find people that you can do deals with. That'll be the best education you can have. For those for those partners that you have, it looks like based off the deal size that they were probably institutional lending that you that you had. No, that it wasn't. Well, uh, it's, some of them some of them had some institutional lending. So what I what I did is I went to established syndicators, mm-hmm. and I found a, a group that was down in in Houston, Texas, and I approached them and I invested with them as a limited partner. And I simply said to them, "Hey, I, I'd like to see." you know, your underwriting, all your legal documents. Can, can you send me this? And I didn't do it in a pushy sort of way. I did it in a helpful way where I could offer my help to them. And I actually did tasks for them, kind of like the strategic partner program yeah. that I'm rolling out here. That's basically what they did with me. They, they brought me on and kind of showed me behind the curtains. And once, once I was able to do that, I learned a huge amount. So, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, uh, you know, that's that's huge right there. You know, the the whole process, getting educated, you know, making yourself valuable to, to somebody else. Uh, it takes a long time. And, you know, a lot of people do, you know, self-study. Some people do the coaching, but wholeheartedly agree with everything. Do what you can to, to learn about the industry. Become valuable. And, you know, once you can show that you're valuable, you will attract the people that you'll need to partner with. That really is key. I mean, no matter how you get your education, I know a lot of people that want to just jump in and they want to analyze deals and get started in the business, but they haven't made themselves valuable in some way. And whether that is knowing how to do you know, due diligence or having an investor network to help raise capital or being having broker relations, you got to find something that you're good at and bring that to somebody else who's got other skills. And I actually do that in a fairly strategic way. Since I have a full-time job, I don't go after those broker relationships as much because that would be during my work hours. Uh, So I find people that do that full-time and I 
partner on a lot of the activities that can be done through email, through communications, can be done in off hours or otherwise, you know, time that's not at work. Yeah. So there's a, there's a balance that you have to, to, to hold there. Yeah, that's the thing for us. I mean, we've been looking at more deal, more and more deals, underwriting, and with some partners submitting LOIs. But really, it's it seems like the big things are are a KP of some sort, a, a real strategic partner who has a track record, and then also mm-hmm. those broker relations, being able to to get those deals before they go on market, so that way is a true off market deal. But to your point, it is challenging if you're if you're working a full time job and being able to balance all of that, particularly something like broker relations. Yeah, and I'm I'm in a similar boat to Daniel. I mean, we're actually talking about this prior to the show, but you know, I work at the Pentagon, and my time's not my own. So we've we've had to, you know, when I say we this time, this is our, our Four Oaks Capital, my three partners. We've had to adjust how we do things based on my schedule. The the guys who have you know a little more flexibility with their time are now doing the underwriting and the acquisitions, and you know, same as same as Daniel, I'm, I mean, like podcasts, I can schedule a podcast, you know, whenever I can get somebody else on the line with me. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of flexibility there and uh, you know, just, just adapt it to your situation. Yeah, definitely. You know, in, in looking at your website, Daniel, I saw that Hillary was there. I'm assuming because of the last name that she's related to you uh, in some it's way. My wife. Okay. Yeah. I didn't want to assume, you know, I was, I was thinking that was the case, but uh, you know, how do you end up balancing being able to separate the business side of things from the, from the, uh, the family, from the relationship uh, pre, you know, pre-investing relationship side of things. Cause for Daisy and I, we, I mean, I'll act like last night I actively made a choice. I'm like, okay, it's seven 30, it's eight o'clock. Like I'm not talking about real estate anymore right now because we need to we need to make sure that we we keep those other parts of our life going outside of real estate. So I'm wondering how how you and Hillary end up making that work on a on a day to day basis. Yeah, you you know it's it's about intention intentionality. It's it's about finding things that are important to them and making sure that you are intentionally there to do them. So uh, I I do tend to wake up early in the morning and I get a fair amount of work done early in the morning. One of the things that has been kind of a blessing in disguise has been, you know, during these times of the pandemic, a lot of us are working from home. And so I'm working from home. I make it a very intentional act that I always have lunch with the family. And, uh, you know, we always make it an intentional act that after a certain hour in the evening, you know, I'm cutting it off and we're doing something together. So, uh, for me, uh, scheduling my time, uh, that's the first thing I do in the morning is that I, I schedule my day out. Um, and that has helped tremendously knowing that I can get all my things done and intentionally put in time um, for for work, for for family. So for me, it's been about intentionality and also just knowing how to support your family and, and what they need. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And, yeah. and making sure you aren't shutting them out due to work. Just you know, you, the reason you're doing this is for your family. And so being there for them now is as important as some distant future. Right. Yeah, appreciate the insight. Yeah, pivoting a, a little bit. I know that you talked about being able to prepare for, for bad times. Um, and of course, you can do that with underwriting as far as it goes on, on a deal specifically. And multifamily is, of course, very, uh, very recession resistant. But I'm wondering how if at all, you've tried to do that with, with partnerships, being able to prepare for bad times because it's like, okay, well, sideways and um, being able to, to handle that when those things do come up, if at all. Is your question just how do you handle bad partner relationships? 
I guess it's more so, I, I guess it's twofold. One, the preparation for, okay. for that, and then the, the handling of it itself. Well, I, I, so the preparation, there's, there's two parts. There's the, there's the personal level and the professional level. Uh, so obviously the people that I invest with, I know really well. We talk to each other on the phone all the time. We, you know, we know each other. We post on each other's Facebook walls. So getting to know the person and knowing what type of person they are is, is definitely key. And then also, you know, of course, before you get to know them, just knowing what their track record is. Uh, I, I mentioned that to everybody and some, some syndicators are a little, it can be difficult to get a track record out of them. And I like to partner with people who, who have track records available to review. So I definitely make that part of the process as well. Yeah. You know, and that, that goes back to a previous point, you know, looking for track records, you know, if you're a new person and you partner with somebody experienced, you know, a new person would never has a track record, you know, because they're brand new to the game, but partnering with somebody with a track record gives you a track record. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, it's like so, an apprenticeship. Exactly. Like the wind multifamily apprenticeship. <laughs> they, yeah. hey, maybe I should call it that. That sounds better yeah. than strategic partner. <laughs> oh, Hey, there, there you go. Well, you came up with it. I just repeated it. So there you go. All right, Luke, uh, we got time for one more. Awesome. Um, it's going back to uh, things that aren't specifically multifamily centered, Daniel. Uh, you mentioned that you that your kids are essentially your children, I should say, are essentially partners in one of your deals. And I think that's an awesome idea. I think that's great. And I'm wondering how how you've ended up balancing that idea of I'm going to like you know I'm going to gift this money to you so that way you're able to set I'm setting you up for your future and and really having them be appreciative of that, of what, of what's going on. I know it can be difficult if you're a teenager to be appreciative of things, but I'm just wondering how you, how you've navigated that and making sure it's not just something that's, you know, they earn it, I guess is a, is a better way to put it. Yeah. It, it, uh, boy, you're asking questions that are difficult for every parent to answer. How do you, how do you communicate to your children and, 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 and basically train them up? Right. It's difficult. So what, I mean, I, I wanted to introduce my kids to the idea of investing. And so, you know, it was something that I came up with pretty much out of the blue. And it, we have been funding their college education. One of the things that I've done is I've set aside money every year since they were since the day they were born. Uh, I open a bank account usually a couple of days after they're born. And we, we start funding their education. And for a while, I was doing that in a, a 29C. And then I realized, hey, this 29C, I can only use this on education. And yes, you can shift funds between different people in the family. So it is a little bit flexible, but you're very limited in what you could do within it. Mm-hmm. And the reason why you're putting money in there is that it's tax advantaged. And so, hey, real estate is tax advantaged. And I'm not limited just to education with it. I could pass it on to them that way as well. So we started doing that and uh, it's, it's been hard. I, I sat down with my daughter and said here, and, and actually the conversation to be quite honest that uh, got her interested in it was is that she's doing chores around the house right now to earn up for a Nintendo switch. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I showed her this, she's, she's been going through that process of kind of learning what it is to do chores and to earn up for something. And then I showed her this where we said, Hey, we're going to take some of this money and look how now you're making it without working for anything. And, you know, she kind of shrugged me off to be honest, but you know, I bring it up every once in a while and hopefully it'll stick. 
Yeah. So, sometimes you don't get, you don't get that until they're, they're older and out of the house. Um, yeah. My, my wife told me of a conversation she had with my daughter and you know, my daughter edits this podcast. So I'm probably going to, you know, hear, hear about this here soon, but you know, conversation with something like this, you know, she looked at her rent bill and said, why, why do I have to pay extra money for the common electricity? I'm not the one that uses it. Stuff. And then the next part of the conversation when like, I've, I'm already paying X amount in electricity a month. And my wife looked at her and basically said, yeah, we pay about six times that amount for our electric bill at our house. So, you know, and it, it's times like that where I think, I hope the kids just kind of look at it and say, oh, so you guys, oh, okay. You know, and you know, I hope, hope every once in a while, those, those little situations like that. I, I know when I was younger, my first electric bill was through the roof, I thought. And I called my mom and said the same thing. And she's like, no, that's actually not a bad electric bill. That, that Those are the times for me where I've, I've kind of looked back at my parents and said, oh yeah, they have been doing this for my whole life, you know, and, and hopefully, you know, at some point, you know, my, my daughters and my, my son, you know, say, realize the same thing. But I think the answer is it just takes time. Talk to them early and often, but it's going to take time for them to realize. I, I also don't expect them to necessarily appreciate it while I'm doing it. <laughs> so it's, it's about being an example and, and, and teaching and hopefully one day they'll be thankful. It's like, it's like when my parents said, you'll thank me when I'm older, when you're older, you know, that, that line, but uh, yeah. yeah. Anyway. Uh, so, Hey, one, one final question for each of you. Hey, Daniel, how can our listeners get in touch with you? Sure. So you can find me at winmultifamily.com. Right. Uh, my business is Alon Capital. It's A-A-L-O-N capital.com. And you can email me at Daniel, D-A-N-I-E-L, at Homland, H-O-L-M-L-U-N-D, at alloncapital.com. All right. Nice. And uh, Luke, same question for you. How can listeners get in touch with you? Yeah, best way to, to get in touch is to find me on the website that we have. That's makeitrainpodcast.com. And we have contact info on there for everyone. And then also, you can also reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm Luke Debro. There's only one of me, uh, I'm sure. If there's more than one, then... <laughs> He's then a pretender, um, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it's uh, yeah, linkedin.com slash in slash L-U-C-D-A-B-R-E-A-U. All right. And I'll, I'll have links to those in the show notes, you know, to, to the websites, to the, the podcast, uh, both of your podcasts and emails. So, so good enough. All right. Well, Hey, once again, thanks a ton, you guys for being on the show. You know, it was a great conversation. I enjoyed it. Hope the listeners enjoy it too. And um, look forward to the next time we can talk guys. Thank you very much, Brian. All right. Thanks All right. gentlemen. Yeah. All right. And Thank that's a wrap. Thank you for listening to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast today, brought to you by Four Oaks Capital. If you'd like to know more about how to invest in apartment buildings or want to be a guest in our show, visit our website at fouroakscapital.com slash podcast or email us directly. If you're still listening, you obviously like the show, so pull out your phone, tap subscribe, and leave us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast app. And we'll see you again next week.